Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple. And this week, I talked to tax expert Hannah Cole all about taxes for artists. Now, before you turn this episode off, this is exactly why I have Hannah here to talk. For most of us as humans, we frankly haven't been taught how to manage our finances, how to prepare for tax season. And a lot of feelings come up for most of us around all of this. Which is why Hannah Cole is the perfect person for us to begin to feel empowered about taxes specifically and money generally. Hannah goes to the absolute basics for us in this episode about how to set oneself up for success in tax season, to create distinctions within your accounts, to set yourself up as a business, what the differences are between W-2s, W-4s, 1099s, what deductions are given to businesses specifically for artists, Schedule Cs, bookkeeping, and so much more. We talk about tangible examples of this and how this can be implemented in successful ways to make us feel empowered. We talk about emotional hurdles, all of this can bring up. Basically, I took it upon myself to ask all of these questions for you so that you didn't have to do it. (laughs) Without further ado, enjoy. Hannah Cole, lovely to see your face. You too, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness. I'm excited about this episode. I'm also, I have to like acknowledge my resistance towards this conversation initially, which is exactly why you're here. Um, Because talking about money in any capacity, specifically taxes, (laughs) makes me close up and become small and a little bit terrified. I'm I'm better, but um, (laughs) I'm just acknowledging my space of existence currently in this space. Um, but thank you for being here to chat about all these things that fill people with a lot of feelings. Thank you. Um, yeah, it is my pleasure. And I think that's where we should start. Let's start with the feelings. <laughs> <laughs> They're here. Before we even start with the feelings, though, who are you today for anybody who doesn't know? Yeah. Um, so, well, I'm Hannah. I'm the founder of Sunlight Tax. Um, and before I became a tax weenie, um, I... I have been for since 2005 a professional painter. So I show with a gallery in New York and a gallery in North Carolina, and I literally have a solo show in October 2023. So I haven't given that up. I'm still an active professional artist. Um, but basically, um, you know, I I basically found myself. You know, when I left graduate school, uh, my MFA program, I. I just felt like taxes just hit me like a shovel to the face. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I have to do what? Wait a minute. Nobody said this was coming. And like, I was like, what are, what the fuck are quarterly taxes? Wait, I have to pay four times? What? You know, I just like all of it. And then I was also just so massively confused because I was like, wait a minute. So I have, you know, I'll just list what I have because I'm an artist. Yeah. Painter. Um, I was like, I get a bunch of 1099s. I get like honoraria from speaking at other universities. I get like a random grant. I might get a random commission. I get gallery sales. Like how on earth am I supposed to put all this together? The worst of it was I thought I was doing a pretty good job because I went and got a book out of the library on freelance taxes and I read it. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to like learn the rules. 
yeah. all by myself. And then I hired my dad's accountant, which is how a lot of us do this. Mm-hmm. And um, that experience was just like one of the single most scarring experiences of my life. Like I walked wow. into that room just feeling like a professional. You know, I just graduated from my professional degree program. I have, um, you know, I'm a visiting artist at universities. I got a big grant. I have a solo show lined up. Like I was feeling kind of like a badass, you know, I walk into his office and he's like, oh, are you like going to get a real job? (laughs) Wow. Like he actually said that to you in your meeting. (sighs) You know, if I'm completely honest, I don't know if he said those words. But but the energy around it. Total implication the whole time. And just yeah. like, oh, this seems like a cute little hobby. When are you going to be a serious person? Um, you're not really worth my time. Um, you know, like, I'm not going to deign to explain anything to you or um, try to understand your world at all because y- you just don't count as you're you're a weirdo. Like, you're a total mm-hmm. outlier in my practice, and like, I don't. It does. I'm not going to be bothered to like look up if there's any special rules for artists. P.S. There are. Mm-hmm. Um, And I just, you know, of course he charged me the full rate. There was no like discount for his clearly not giving me the service I deserve for the full payment. It was just like everything about it was so awful that I, you know, there's many twists and turns in my story. Basically, the economics of my life flipped on their head and became unsustainable once I had a baby in New York Mm City. Um, And I was like, oh, shit, I need to figure something out. So Basically, I went back to school for accounting and I became an enrolled agent, which is a license from the IRS. It means I'm a tax expert. And I just started the company that needs to exist in the world. I was like, I know that my people need this. (laughs) Somebody needs to be here and it's not, it's not there yet. So, um, so that's how, that's kind of how Sunlight Tax got, got. When did that start? When was that? Um, I founded the company in 2016. Okay. Yeah. And how has it been? Oh, it's been awesome. I mean, I couldn't love it more because to be honest, like I'm a smart person. Like I'm yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> clearly. I this stuff and I really, it, there's something so satisfying. It's like a sponge with water. There's something like when I step out and people realize that like, no, no, I'm not like faking it. I am really actually a professional artist and I really have like, been audited, messed up all my receipts, like done, literally done everything wrong and, and had all the bad experiences that you've had. And then you realize that I am also now a licensed tax professional and can truly tell you the answer. I just find it so satisfying. People all the time are like, oh my God, I never thought I'd be able to retire. And I, and you were the first person who ever had the patience to show me the math behind how it is actually possible to put money aside as an artist and like really have financial security. So to me, that's like an angel getting its wings every time I hear something like that. Ugh, I'm already like, I feel much lighter (laughs) just hearing hearing you talk about it. I'm also just like, thank you on behalf of artists everywhere for, you know, it's crazy how life really, you know, the things that potentially feel like the worst thing Mm-hmm. end up being this weird gift down the line. It's just we never really know how things end up working out. And it's just, I guess, thank you to your dad's awful tax person because <laughs> now he's given all of us artists the gift of somebody who is patient and kind and communicative about the complications that it feels 
like we all have when mm-hmm. we're trying to balance all of this. So we're lucky to have you. Sorry that happened to you. That's awful. <laughs> and I relate. So I'm sure everybody things. listening has some version oh, of yeah. that same story. Oh, yeah. If not even in taxes, just like generally with finances and mm-hmm. saying that you are an artist and even just the standard question of like, oh, like when the what the version of the when are you going to get a real job uh-huh. conversation, whether it's with your family or whether it's with friends or people who don't understand or who actually don't even mean to hurt your feelings. But it's yeah. just like we've had it. Everyone has had it. Everyone's um, had it. Yeah. So with that said, my feelings are feeling a little better and I'm yeah. feeling a little like risque about being like, I can handle this conversation for now. I'll touch in with myself as I keep going, but I think I think we're in good hands. So, I'd love to start like basic 101, artist 101, like if I never spoke to a human being who knew anything about taxes, money, whatever, what would be some of the first things that you were like, "Hey, this would be something that would be really helpful for you to either start thinking about, looking into creating for yourself as baseline." Yeah. You're going to have to stop me because I could go for a long time on this. But no. I'll bring you okay. in again and again and again. That's what's <laughs> going to keep happening. <laughs> so the, the very ground level is that if you are a professional, if you are trying to make a living doing what you're doing, if you're trying to you know, be a professional whatever, whatever the thing is, baker, dancer, painter, um, if, you are, if your aim is to be professional at it, you are running a business. So that's really important. Um, If you're a baker, that might be more obvious. If you're a designer, that might be more obvious. Sometimes if you're a performer or a visual artist, especially out in the more avant-garde side of it, it might not be so obvious. And especially because of how we get taught. Now, I know that a lot of people listening are in the performing world, and I grew up in the visual arts world, which is more shy. Not necessarily, but I hear you. (laughs) Not necessarily, but whenever I give talks at like at art schools, the theater people like ask all the questions. They're like, "Hello, I have a question," (laughs) and then the art the painters are all sitting at the back, like like not asking anything, and so grateful that the performers are there with their big gestures to be like, "Please answer my question." (laughs) I love it. I love Um, it. But it cannot. It's possible for us to not feel that it's that obvious that we're a business, right? Because we're doing it, a lot of us are doing what we do because we love it, because Mm -hmm. we're passionate about it. And to me, that's a superpower. That's an awesome thing that shouldn't go away. But it is very important to know that when it comes to your taxes, the fact that you are trying to make money is the single definition of what makes you a business. So it is really important to um, to actually be aware that that is true. And I'm, I'm here to say like, it very likely is, are you trying to pay your rent? Okay, then yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a business and it is yeah. true. Um, but you kind of have to be explicitly aware of that because that is actually the thing that gives you all the protection and entitles you to all the benefits that come as part of filing as a business. Um, and those benefits, just for the record, are the fact that you get to take deductions for your business expenses, which is, you know, a massive subsidy to you. And it's awesome. And you're totally, it's totally within your rights to take them. But it's very key that you treat yourself like a business and you operate in a professional manner. Um, and, and that doesn't mean you need to, you know, like 
start wearing suits and using business lingo. You can you can be who you are in the company that you're with, speaking the language of the people around you. That's fine. But there are some things that make you more business-like from the standpoint of taxes. And we can talk about what those are because yeah. those are protective for you. Yeah. And I guess in my brain, does that go to creating an LLC or an S-Corp? Or is that more about like how you are managing your W-2s, 1099s, all of that? Like let's, yeah, yeah let's yeah, talk. Great question. So yeah, a lot of people kind of skip ahead to the LLC. And I'm here to say, no, no, way before that, your business way before that. And you don't right. necessarily ever need to become an LLC. Um, that's a question of liability protection only. Mm-hmm. Um, you are officially a business to the IRS as soon as you have a profit motive. I'm using IRS wording here, profit Great, motive. Great, let's define profit motive. Yeah. Are you trying to make money? That's cool. it. That's literally what makes you a business. And this is really important to know. The IRS is not trying to exclude you. They're the most inclusive organization that could possibly be out there when it comes to you qualifying to be a business. To be a business to the IRS You don't need a social security number. You don't need to be in this country legally or documented. You don't need to have filed any paperwork. You do not need to be properly collecting sales tax if you owe it to your state. They don't care. I mean, they really, they're not cross-checking any of that stuff. They're just like, come on in, come on in. You want to like make, uh, you've decided that people love your grandma's empanada recipe and you want to bake those and you want to sell them when there's like a baseball game. Great. Come on in, you're a business. Wow. <laughs> like you're official for us. And mm-hmm. and if you think about the logic there, it makes all the sense in the world. Cause why? What is the IRS there for? Money. To collect taxes. Yeah. Right. So they're like, yeah, yeah, we're not waiting for you to do all these official things that maybe you'll eventually get to in a couple of years. No, no, right now. <laughs> we'll take the tax today. <laughs> that first empanada at that baseball game. That exactly. is ours. Exactly. exactly. Cool. Yeah. Um, and and uh, this is another important point for people to know is I see in business school, people get taught that losses are normal and that all businesses start in the negative and that it's a magical, magical, wonderful, exciting moment in your business when you go from having negative numbers to being at zero to your expenses and your pro- and your income actually being equal. That's called the break-even point. And it's like, a big deal when it happens. And it's not what happens on day one. Um, And becoming profitable takes time. It's not what happens immediately. But what I find is that creative people, because we are so ill-served in business education and, you know, art school is not teaching us these basic skills a lot of the time. We think we're terrible at this. Like we think, oh, I'm bad with money. Oh, I'm bad at business. Oh, I don't have enough money yet to file a Schedule C to like report this um, for taxes. And that just breaks my heart because actually you're getting, you're missing out on a huge tax advantage when you don't file those negative Schedule Cs with your loss, because that's actually give, that gives you a huge tax break that is meant to help you through those early hard years. And you're missing it just because you didn't know the rules. Um, Pause. Let's break down a Schedule C for anybody who doesn't know. Let's do it. Okay. So the Schedule C, all that is, is the part of your personal income tax return where you report your self-employment income. That's it. And there's, like I said, the only thing you need to be entitled to have one is a profit motive. So 
you don't, like I said, literally, you don't need a social security number. You don't need an LLC. You don't need anything, quote, official. Just the fact that you're trying, literally that you are trying, that is what makes you official. So let's give an example. I'm all about an example for my very visual brain. Yeah. Let's just, we'll keep, and we'll keep this example throughout the whole conversation that we can come into to like use as we break things down. Let's talk about it from the visual art perspective, just because that's the world that you know, and I want you to be able to access it the best way possible. So let's talk about a painter who is in the, you know, let's say they came out of an undergrad Mm -hmm. degree. They didn't even go back to get their MFA. Um, And they came out and, you know, maybe they had created a bunch of incredible paintings for their senior showcase and they they were asked to be part of a gallery and now they're sitting in a gallery and potentially at this point maybe making some profit mm-hmm. as they leave school. Mm-hmm. I let's assume also for now just because we can talk about this at a later point I probably want to bring you back to talk about all the other things. Yeah. Um let's assume this person has no debt so we don't have to talk about that at the moment. Okay. They come out with no debt they're just trying to make profit they haven't made anything yet. Mhm. Are them simply being in the gallery, what would make them file a Schedule C? Is it once somebody purchases a particular painting? Is it what part are we talking about where yeah. somebody's beginning to report income? Great question. Great question. So to me, just looking at that scenario, putting your work in a gallery is proof of a profit motive because a gallery is a place that can sell your work. Now, can you control who comes in and whether it sells or not? Mm, Not totally, not completely. Trust me, every show I ever put on, I hope sells out. Do they always? No. (laughs) Or, I mean, let's pretend they do. Yeah, they always Um, do. (laughs) From here on out. Yeah. So so that, to me, is clearly a professional because that is a person, you know, who is showing a profit motive. Now... The IRS has an actual start point for your business. And here's what it is. It's interesting. It's the moment you advertise. That is when your business starts, according to the IRS. And if you think about it, given that the fact that intention, your intent to make a profit is what defines you as having a business, the moment of advertising is actually the moment you signal intent. So it makes sense. Again, so... And a a lot of people, I just want to answer a question that I feel your listeners having, which is in this world, you know, in the arts world where we can be so cagey about money and we don't want to, you know, you want it to be clear that you're doing it for passion and love and can you, because you care about great work. So you try to suppress the idea that also I need to, you know, like buy food and pay my rent and like, you know, maybe I'd like some savings. Um, So we try to put the passion first and the money second, and we don't talk about that. A lot of us don't use the language of business, even though we're running a business, right? So a lot of people will say to me, but I don't advertise. And I'm here to say, yes, you do. (laughs) Um, You know, like if you DM someone who could, you know, uh, knows where to get auditions or an agent, um, if you are DMing collectors, if you have email correspondence with people in a position to show your work or give you a show, that is all advertising. Literally having a website live, that is considered advertising. Um, your Instagram presence almost certainly is advertising. Anything that you would call visibility, that's our sort of non-marketing word for basically advertising. Mm-hmm. So, so yes. 
artists do advertise. <laughs> okay. So this person, the second they decided to go and show their work in the gallery, now they're officially trying to run a profitable business. Mm -hmm. On their taxes, mm -hmm. let's say they don't make anything. Let's say their paintings don't sell this year at the gallery. They're there though, and the intention mm -hmm. was there to sell, but they didn't. Is that where the deduction part of things comes into play? Um, yes. The fact that they have a profit motive and that they are they intend to make a profit, um, that does entitle them to file a Schedule C and list all their expenses on it. So they can list expenses even when they don't have income. You want to be a little careful and not do this every single year. At, at a point, the IRS might get sort of interested in being like, hey, okay, we see that you're not having a profit for many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's time to show us what's going on. So mm -hmm. I, I will give a caveat, like you got to be careful with this. But absolutely, that person, yes, they can file their expenses even when there is not income yet, especially year one, because that's actually the most common year for that scenario to be true. Yeah. Even though as any performer listening will know, there can be later years in your business where this can happen too. 2020, great example. Like right. any performer out there who had a booked out calendar for all of 2020 was like, yeah, I'm doing amazing. I got all these shows. And then, then yep. March comes, shut down, and you are not getting in any auditorium anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> so, correct. You know, correct. stuff can happen. So this is so when we're talking about deductions, this is what we're talking about. This person could potentially mark down their website that they had mm -hmm. paid a yearly subscription for, their um, uh, materials that they purchased so that they could make more paintings to put in said gallery, mm -hmm. their, maybe their studio space that they are painting in, right? Are these all the things that we're thinking about when we're thinking about deductions? Yep, absolutely. The IRS wording would be ordinary and necessary. Is it ordinary and necessary for someone in your business type? And if it is, it is something you're allowed to deduct. There are some special rules um, about individual deductions because basically because not absolutely everything you get a receipt for. Like in general, you need to keep a receipt because that's your proof that the thing that you really did the thing you said you did. Mm -hmm. So you want to keep all your receipts. But some deduction rules are a little bit different because there are some things that are deductible that you're never going to get a receipt on. For example, driving your car, um, you know, the personal side, the personal part of driving your car, you don't get to deduct, right? We don't get to deduct things that are personal. But if you drive that car to an audition, that is a business mileage, 100%. So there are some special rules about, for example, keeping a mileage log. So PS, um, I have like a downloadable, I have a visual guide to tax deductions that if anybody wants listening wants to download, I have these all written out in a like one page visual diagram. It's incredible. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. It's really, it really is. It's an incredible resource. Um, so Thanks. yes. And also you, I mean, I'll plug you now, but I'm sure you'll plug at the end. Like you have a podcast and you pretty much break down all these things too by like topic. So if you want to go further into these, go listen to Hannah's podcast um, because it's really, really, it's all there. So we're Thank just doing you. like nuts and bolts currently I, here. I love that. Thank you. Yes. The Sunlight Podcast. Um, yeah. It's awesome. Um, cool. So we're going back to basics 101 mm -hmm. here. Now you've recognized that you're a, you're just starting out. You recognize that you're a business. Now you're operating from a business perspective. What mm -hmm. else now do I need to do to set myself up for 
quarterlies to set myself up for the annual situation at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Who am I hiring? What am I purchasing? Like, what am I doing to set myself up? Yeah, beautiful. So quarterly taxes, we can put that, let's let's hit that later, a little bit later because that's when you're making some pretty good money. Okay. Um, and so here before we've broken even, you you haven't, you don't know them yet. But one of the best things you can do um, to set yourself up professionally and well, and also to just eliminate a lot of headache is open a separate business bank account. This is a really key one because part of what is business-like and will help prove that you have a business-like intention is keeping that stuff separate and actually doing bookkeeping. So I know this is not maybe everybody's favorite idea, but actually tracking all your income and all your expenses so that you can calculate how much profit you have. This is very this is very important. And once we get into you needing to pay taxes quarterly instead of annually because your tax bill starts getting too big to pay all at one time, then knowing your profit each quarter is how you get to calculate those payments. And so not to mention it's good for a thousand other reasons as well, but that's really important. So you would literally with your bank Mm -hmm. go and be like, hey, I normally have my checking and my savings. I'd like to create a separate checking and or savings account. Mm -hmm. This will be where I, anytime I am, again, with the painter buying my paint, anytime Mm -hmm. I am paying my gas specifically to get to said studio for a showing, any of that I will have linked to, say, a credit card that goes specifically to said savings and checking. Yeah. And so there's some real magic that happens when you do this. So first of all, you don't actually, especially if you're just starting out, if you're like baby beginner business, you don't actually need to even get a business bank account per se. It's The point is the separation. So it's actually okay to just open a personal account, except you are going to treat it like your business bank account. And you want to be very careful that you put you know, all your direct deposits, all your payments go into that account. And then all your expenses you want to make out of that account, whether it's a debit from that account or whether it, you hook up your, um, you know, your business credit card, for example, to that. Mm-hmm. And then if you just think about this for a minute, what magic that creates for you is it creates a paper trail of all the ins and outs from your business. Here's all the income. Here's all the expenses. So essentially what you're doing by having that separated account is you start forming the backbone of your bookkeeping. So now everything's recorded and all you have to do is then sort it like, oh, trips to Dick Blick or to Lowe's, that's supplies. Um, Trips to, you know, or uh, I'm trying to think of other expenses. I mean, that's like, that's all I spend money on. (laughs) It's like art supplies and hardware stores. Um, Oh, I mean, professional development, you know, I mean, there's, of course, we can all spend money. We're all pretty good at it. (laughs) Well, my next thing then is the bookkeeping aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Because this is where I'm feeling in my heart. This is where my body tenses because spreadsheets and my creative brain are not my favorite. They are okay. not where I go to thrive. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably arguably where I go to like shrink and <laughs> recede into the recesses of bushes. Um, when one talks about bookkeeping, what mm-hmm. exactly are we meaning? Are we saying we are hiring mm-hmm. TurboTax and they are bookkeeping for us? Is it us keeping a spreadsheet in the comfort of our home? And that is, you know, and I'm putting things in category. What do we mean when we say bookkeeping? 
Yeah. I love it that we're, that you're asking this because it's nice to break it down really Mm -hmm. all the way down. So what bookkeeping means is you tracking the input and the output from your business. So tracking all the income and PS, that one is your legal obligation. IRS takes that very, (laughs) very seriously. You must legally report all of your income for your business. That is self-employment income. It's subject to self-employment tax as well as income tax. Key, important, you must do it. You are on the hook. So you want to be doing that, and that is your minimum. So if that's all the bookkeeping you want to do, just tracking all your income, you can end there. However, you are given by virtue of being considered a business in our capitalist country uh, that favors businesses, you are given the amazing benefit of having deductible expenses for your business. And so tracking those is if you want to take them, you have to track them and keep the documentation that is legally required for those, which is usually a receipt, might be something a little different. And again, I made a visual guide that will help you know the difference. Um, so, you know, I sort of make a joke sometimes, like if you feel, you know, like you don't want to bother tracking all your expenses, if you don't want to keep receipts, if that feels like too much of a headache, you don't have to. Like I dismiss you. You'd be like, you can be done with that. But you're going to pay taxes on a much higher number. So if you want to pay taxes on the lower number, which is income minus your expenses, so just on your profit instead of all your gross income, then you need to bookkeep because you now need to track those expenses in order to be able to legally take them as deductions. Got it. So are you taking your receipts as they come in and you're putting them in a little folder? Are you putting, are you scanning them on your phone and then putting them into a thing? Like if you are doing it yourself, Mm -hmm. what have you found to be helpful or some ways to start with that? Yeah. I would love to give your listeners a really neat trick where they never have to sort receipts again in their life. We love this. We love a trick and a trade here. That's it. Okay. So here's what you do. So what you want to understand is when you have this separate business bank account, you are creating a paper trail, which is lovely and is going to be the basis for what you do your bookkeeping off of, right? So whether that is a spreadsheet or software, and you can choose what works for you. Now, receipts are actually a little bit different. So this is where, this is why I think a lot of times people get so confused because there's sort of multiple systems and they overlap a lot, but they're not exactly the same. And this is why things feel confusing. This is why I'm asking. Exactly. And it's a great question. So a lot of people think they should be sorting receipts. And I'm here to say, you don't need to. It is absolutely unnecessary and it's a waste of your time. Why is that? (laughs) Because receipts corroborate that bank statement. Receipt is your proof that the expense you are self-reporting on your tax return that pretty much every year the IRS is just going to take your word for it. That's the proof that if they were like, okay, for the last five years, we've just believed you every year, but you know, this year we're just going to check. That is their right any year which is why you need to have it. So keep your receipts. I'm definitely not saying throw them out. You need to keep them, but all it is is proof. And so all you need to do is basically put them in storage. That's it. Storage for seven years. That's what you need your receipts for. And you do have to have them. And you can keep them digitally or physically, and that's fine. They're, it doesn't matter as long as you have them all. But here's the, here's the trick for receipts. 
to never have to sort them. So for physical receipts, which are the most likely to get lost, like emailed receipts, the system there is pretty simple. You just make a little folder in your Gmail or whatever, Outlook. Mm -hmm. um, just make a folder. Do it by year because tax audits happen by year. They'll come and say, we want to see all of 2019 receipts, right? So you want to do it by year. You just like, anytime you buy su supplies on Amazon, you just put your confirmation email into that folder. Mm -hmm. That's it. You are done. And you never have to touch those, right? Because your bank statement, so long as it's coming out of your business bank account, your bank statement is going to have that info on it automatically. Mm -hmm. See, we're sort of simplifying things here. Mm -hmm. So for physical receipts, here's the trick. Because <laughs> these are the worst. These are the ones that fly away and we lose. Yes. Um, just in your wallet, when you're out in the world and you receive in your hand a physical receipt, um, put it in the front of your wallet. That's it. That's the only trick. Put it in the front. So what this means is all the receipts in your wallet are actually in chronological order without you doing anything because the, the most recent one is always in the front. So this is the only thing you need to remember. Put it in the front. Then when your wallet gets too full of receipts and you want to dump them, you go to a file, like a hanging file folder, a shoebox. Mm -hmm. <laughs> file folder is a little more organized. You want to organize your file folders by year. That's the only thing you need to do. So you want to, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, et cetera. But as long as you're putting it in the right year, you just take those receipts out of your wallet and you put them in the front. Because then every receipt in that folder is actually in chronological order and you've never sorted them at all. So you've yeah. got them, they're in order, they're by year. If you get that dreaded letter from the IRS that says, we want to see all the 2022 receipts that you have, you just pull that folder out and 2022, it's all there and it's all in order. Done. Love that. Love that so much. Have you been using the same monologue for years and could use a new piece? Are you applying to BA, BFA, or MFA programs and need a monologue for that process? Are you someone who simply has no idea where to search for monologues? Well, lucky for you, I do what is called monologue sourcing, in which I find monologues specifically chosen for you. So many artists use pieces based off external labeling for types and roles rather than find pieces sharing who they really are and what speaks to them. So we'll meet virtually together. You share who you are as a human, what you love, your dislikes, your values, beliefs, family, friends, love, politics, you name it. I will help guide you through this. And then I go off on my own and find you monologues chosen just for you that fit like a glove. I've been doing monologue sourcing for years as an extension of the coaching I do with artists, and I have found pieces in this way for over hundreds of artists thus far. So if you are someone who wants to feel empowered about the monologues you bring into rooms and use for auditions, I would love to help you find them. And because you are a dedicated listener of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast, I want to provide you with a custom link to an exclusive rate when you check out today. Head to empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo to register. That's empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo right now. I cannot wait to help you find monologues you absolutely adore. Cool. So we have yourself as a business. We have the fact that you are organizing in this way with your receipts. We have the fact that you now have a separate business account. 
mm-hmm. you are setting yourself up beautifully for when tax season comes. I know for myself, back in this was reporting for 2021, I, I mean, I'll be totally candid. I had over eight W-2s, almost 20 1099s. Um, I was hustling with a capital H after my tour had shut down from the pandemic and I was teaching and coaching personally with my own studio and then also with a bunch of different places and also was teaching at universities and also, I mean, I my thrival job is teaching Hebrew and I did that at a bunch of different synagogues. I was literally living my hustle life and my accountant was like, this is wild and I was like, I agree. And, and um, this must shift in some capacity. But let's assume no. that somebody is living the hustle life in that they are balancing many a hat, many a job, many a freelance situation, maybe not to the extent that that year was because that is an insane anomaly because we were living in a pandemic. Cute. Mm-hmm. But let's say somebody still is doing that. They don't have a single employer and or they had a contract and they're, they're a contractor m- five times throughout the year. How is somebody mm-hmm. organizing many different types of tax documents at the end of the year? What is the difference between a 1099 and a W-2? What mm-hmm. are I, I just let's go into that land of things. Yeah. I know that's also something that no one taught me. And that was like a real learning overwhelming curve. Yeah. And yeah, and that is so confusing. And especially when you have that many. Oh my God, it was insane. That was, again, I mean, it's not like I hadn't received many W-2s and or 1099s before that. It was just like, that was like, you are really making moves to pay your bills, queen. Like, look at you. And (laughs) also, I really want you to have a vacation. When I hear that story, I'm like, I hope you got some rest. I did at that point after I was like, where is your life balance? And by life balance, I mean, do you have a life? And it's like, I think I do. I think I just, you know, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is really a lot of why I teach about setting up systems because like that kind of hustle, while it can get you through a crisis year, and that was one like super clearly, um, it's just exhausting. Like you can't sustain that and you're going to burn out so just like the money part, money lets you rest. I know. (laughs) It's a weird shift of, I mean, it's a different shift of, you know, reframing. It's like money isn't, money, you know, like the money can't buy happiness, but but the happiness can literally be rest. (laughs) And if you have that, yeah, exactly. And you can (laughs) do that many places, including your home. Yeah. You can buy your days off. Yeah. Um, So, okay. So here's how that works. The 1099s and the W-2s, these are two different worlds, and that's that's important. These must stay separated. The W-2s, that means you're an employee. The 1099s, those mean you're self-employed. So the reason we keep these totally separate, um, and specifically what I'm going to say here is the 1099 income, when that is part of all the same kind of the same Schedule C. So if all of this was basically from essentially your same suite of, you know, performing coaching skills, then I would be putting that all on a single Schedule C, having one single set of books for that self-employed income. And so all of those 1099s, I would be direct depositing into my business bank account and reporting as business income, self-employment income. The W-2s have to stay totally far away from that. The reason is this, W-2 income 
means you're an employee. And what that means is you do not owe self-employment tax on that money. 1099s, you do owe self-employment tax on that money. So a W-2 is easy peasy. You just like boop, 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 like enter the info from your W-2. Or I think some of these programs now you can scan the scan the W-2 into TurboTax now. Um, and it shows this Medicare and Social Security that you had withheld because that's mandatory when you're an employee. So that's happening from your W-2, guaranteed. Um, so that will be that will be listed on your W-2s and um, income tax to some degree, lesser or greater, will have been taken out of W-2s already as well. So in general, on your W-2s, you should be relatively caught up on your taxes, okay? So your tax situation is going to be much more easy breezy with those. And so you just enter those and they stay off your Schedule C. They do not touch your Schedule C. The 1099s, this is freelance income. And so that has to go in your bookkeeping. That is what is really important here because nobody's withholding tax on 1099s. And so this is why you deposit in that business bank account. This is why you get to take those expenses against that income and you get to calculate a profit number over here with the W-2s. There's no expenses. You don't get to take expenses against your W-2s. Employees don't get expenses. Self-employed people do because we're the boss. Bosses do get to take expenses. So the other important thing to understand besides the fact that you need this like critical, very clear and important differentiation between W-2 income and 1099 income is that your taxes that you're going to owe on the 1099s and whatever other income you generate self-employed that you might not even get a 1099 for, you're going to owe self-employment tax first and foremost on your profit. You're also going to owe income tax on that. And because nobody's pulled that out of that money yet, it's your obligation to keep track of your bookkeeping so and you're going to owe that tax so your tax bill is going to be bigger because it was not prepaid the way it's prepaid with a w2 so this is where self-employed people have quite a bit more admin responsibility um and annoyance you could call mm -hmm. it <laughs> But also nobody's withheld your taxes. So you are self-calculating what tax you owe and you have to be setting that aside so that you pay it. Okay. Many questions again. Mm -hmm. So with the fact that nothing is being withheld in 1099 land, mm -hmm. how do you recommend people save for the fact that they are going to be taxed on mm -hmm. nothing being withheld? How mm -hmm. do you recommend that people calculate as the year is happening, how much they are going to potentially owe? Yeah. <laughs> Not really easy questions, but really good ones. So one, um, like if you have no other takeaway from this episode, bookkeeping, that's the answer. <laughs> you, you, you need bookkeeping in order to do that. And again, this could be done via a spreadsheet or via mm -hmm. TurboTax or via any of TurboTax is not bookkeeping. That's taxes. Okay. So to be clear, bookkeeping is like uh, QuickBooks Self-Employed, Wave, Peachtree, FreshBooks, Sage. There's actually zero. That's the one I use. Um, there's lots of bookkeeping softwares. Um, but this is a totally different topic, and I don't want to take us down this no, road no, no. right now. But cool. bookkeeping and taxes are two separate operations, and we can talk about how they're different because that's another reason that people get confused. They don't know which system they're in, mm -hmm. and so they kind of do all this work that's not necessary. Yeah. Um, 
But okay, so you asked me, how are we supposed to kind of estimate, calculate what we owe? Yeah. Basically, the the first job is to know how much profit you have. You can only know that because you track your income and your expenses, aka you do bookkeeping. So once you know what your profit is, you can treat profit in your business like taxable income. It isn't precisely that, but it's pretty close and it's as close as you're going to get. So use it. And from your profit, that's the number you're going to owe self-employment tax on and also income tax on. So you can do some math to figure out basically what taxes you'll owe on that. Now, some people pay accountants a lot of money to make a quarterly calculation that is relatively accurate based on that quarter's income. That'll cost you money. You can absolutely do it. Um, I teach in my program, I have a program called Money Bootcamp where I teach people a DIY version, like how to do this yourself. Um, and it's a little, it's a little complicated. Like it's hard to break down too much because you need to have some baseline understanding before you can get there. But it's a thing you can do. And what I recommend if you're just starting out with this, if all of this is new, because the intimidation level can be so high, what I recommend is you kind of pick a percentage for the moment and you just use that for the, your first year. Is there a, like a gauge of percentage people should be playing with? Yeah, it's going to totally depend. I'm sorry, such an accountant answer and it's so annoying. It will the percentage is going to vary based on how high your expenses are relative to your income. So for example, if you for every $100 you bring in in income, you spend 99 your your percentage that you need to set aside is going to be tiny because you're basically making very little profit, just 1% of profit. So for that person, the amount that you might need to set aside uh, could be very, very, very small, might be 2% of your gross income. Now, if your profitability is much higher than that, if you have, you know, if for every $100 you bring in, you spend 50 now you need to set aside a much higher percentage than that other person with the huge expenses. Mm -hmm. You might be setting aside somewhere, I don't know, on the upper end, maybe up to 35, 40%. Okay. Um, so it's going to be a range kind of in between those two numbers. A lot of people will use a baseline of like 20% as just a random, random ass guess for year one. Okay. And you know what? You can do it that way. Well. <laughs> Really what you need to do is you need to set aside something, make sure it's there because what you don't want to do is spend all your money and then get a tax bill right. because you're going to pay that with. Yeah. Are you recommending people putting money away per each paycheck? Are you recommending people are like finding a date every couple of months to be like, I'm going to go through my income and take a mass chunk and move it aside? Where are you putting it? Like, what do you recommend for people? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So for one thing, some people put their money into a separate bank account, although I think that tends to be more of a thing you might just do in year one, because really what you should be doing is going right to IRS direct pay and paying that in um, instead of waiting and having it in a bank account, waiting for your bill. You should be paying quarterly in the system on IRS direct pay or your state system because states have quarterly taxes too. I don't want to give a blanket answer because depending on how your income comes in, that might be for sure. one person's perfect solution to somebody else's horror show. So for me, I'm a painter. So like a great year for me is like a big grant and I sell 10 paintings. That's like an 
awesome year for me. So my income comes in in large chunks, but infrequently. So for me, it makes a lot of sense from each sale of a painting, then I would actually set aside money from that. Okay. Um, for a person who's a little bit more like, say, on the craft um, side of things, making income in much more frequent, smaller amounts, like let's take a potter, for example, you're selling mugs, taking 20% out of every mug sale, that's going to get old real fast. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. <laughs> Just so frequent, it would be really annoying to do that. So for you, I might say, you know, if you did your bookkeeping every month or every quarter at a minimum, I might base it on the profit from that quarter and pull it aside from that. Got it. Ultimately, everybody's going to want to calculate what they make each quarter and determine a percentage based on the real profit they had for that quarter. That's going to be the most accurate across the board for everybody. But it's it, setting aside money from a big chunk of income makes a lot of sense when you get big chunks of income. When you have little tiny regular ones, you're selling bubble gum, worst case scenario, mm -hmm. you, you would want to base it on something more aggregated Got than it. the little teeny things. Got it. Now let's bounce over to the W-2 side of things. Yeah. People get really confused with the various exemptions of like whether you write one, whether you write two, whether you write zero, how much that affects you, how much you get up front. I know that obviously for every person, why they would choose one thing or the other is a personal reason. But just mm -hmm. overall, why would somebody want to put a zero for a dependent? Why would somebody put one? Like why does somebody do one or the other? Yeah. So actually they've changed the the W-4 form already. So it doesn't have the ones and zeros anymore. Um, it is actually it's better, but it's a little more complicated. It actually accounts a little bit better for freelance income now than it used to. Um, there's a great tool, free tool on the IRS website for this. It's called Do a Paycheck Checkup. Um, they put a few marketing dollars, a few, a few scant marketing dollars behind this. So there's like a little music. <laughs> <laughs> wow, IRS, getting cute. I know. <laughs> Fancy and fun. What a moment. So <laughs> the fun side of the IRS. There's a market. Yeah, go to that one section. You'll feel sunshine <laughs> and rainbows. <laughs> um, but if you just, if you Google for paycheck checkup on the IRS, they have a tool. They have an actual tool that will walk you through how to fill out your W-4 to get the proper withholding on your W-2. And that is really my best Great. best piece of Great. advice for that Great. Great. um what you want to know like what is a w4 why do you why are you touching one w4s indicate when you're an employee how much withholding should be taken out of your paycheck out of your w2 income so your employee income you're not going to find any check boxes there about medicare and social security because that is mandatory you can't touch that that's coming out um your income tax level, though, is not just determined by that job alone. Um, your income tax rate is based on your full tax picture. It's like an aggregate rate from all the different sources of income that you have. And so your employer can't calculate it like because they don't know, especially for you, Jennifer, with eight different W-2s. That was the same thing, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of those employers they have no idea how much hustle you're doing. They have no idea that you have seven other, other W-2s and 20 1099s. Yeah. Like they don't and can't know that, which is why you have to fill out that paperwork to basically give them 
the info. And it's a nice thing. If you think about it just from a sort of civics perspective, you are under no obligation to tell the IRS or to tell your employer, I've got six additional side hustles. That can be private. You don't have to tell them. I think they'd be the exhausted they sort of heard it. You know, they'd be like, why is this person, are we not helping you enough? It's like, no, pay me more and I'll stop. Like, what do you need? God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Right. Yeah, truly. That's, a, that's a good answer across the board. Yeah, I will. <laughs> pay me more. Um, um, great. Okay. So you have your separate accounts. You have you are mm-hmm. a business. You now kind of understand 1099s versus W2s slash W4s. You understand that the IRS is a cute little moment for you to learn a little bit more. You know that um, you would be setting aside or bookkeeping enough to know that you are keeping money somewhere so that when you are dealing with your personal, your schedule C, <laughs> you are able to pay for it down the line, all those mm-hmm. things. What would be the like final last steps that you would need to have like your baseline ready for tax season if there isn't? Oh, oh yeah. Great question. So um, what you need there basically is bookkeeping complete from last year. So taxes are retroactive. We do taxes for 2022 in 2023. We wait for the entire year to finish. And the reason why is it's the settle up, right? We look at the actual pay that we got all year. We get all the documentation that shows, here's what I got paid. Here's what got taken out for Medicare and Social Security if I had W-2s. Here's what... um, Here's what I prepaid in estimated quarterly taxes or had withheld from a paycheck. So you see, you, you're calculating what you've already paid for 2023 taxes. And then you're calculating because you have the actual numbers from 2022 because it's over. You're calculating is, you know, what did I actually owe? Here's what I actually paid. Here's what I actually owe. They should be close together. That's the goal. But nobody's ever is perfectly on the dollar. So if you overpaid, then you're going to get a refund. And if you underpaid, you're going to have a tax bill. So that's how that works. So basically your project as a freelancer or self-employed person, creative people are generally Mm self-employed, is to do your bookkeeping for 2022 and organize your tax documents, like get them ready to input into your software or to hand to your accountant. So doing your bookkeeping means for all 12 months of 2022, you're going to input the income you had, legal obligation, you have to do that, mm-hmm. um, and then input the expenses that you had, and then that will give you a number of profit. Got it. And we all know that April 15th is lovingly our taxes are due. When, mm-hmm. how, what does that mean for us as the human in terms of submission stuff? What does it mean mm-hmm. if we need an extension? What's that? Yeah. Good question again. So there's there's two operations and a lot of us think they're synonymous and they're actually not. They're separable. So there's tax filing and there's tax paying. Now, your tax filing can get extended so that that's your tax return, submitting that 1040 income tax return. Um, the tax filing is due April 15th, but you can get an automatic extension of six months to file. Um, so long as you, you know, ask, request the extension before April 15th or before the tax date. So that's your filing. That's the paperwork. Mm-hmm. The payment is due April 15th, no extension. 
every year, April 15th, no extension. So the payment is due then. You might ask the question, wait, if I get an extension, don't I have more time to pay? And the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> so you're going to owe penalties and interest for six months if you don't pay until October 15th, the extension deadline. What you actually are supposed to do when you file for extension is you're supposed to make a payment towards what you think you're going to owe. Um, now, if you have a refund coming, you don't need to do that. You're, you're good. Um, but if you owe money, you have to pay it by April 15th every year. You can just set that in your calendar. It will never change. And then when you file all your stuff later and you realize, oh my God, I totally over, I like was so kind to myself. I thought I owed so much more. You will, mm -hmm. put, you will get a refund later once all the things have been submitted, correct? Exactly. Got yep. it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. That was like a whirlwind and I'm being <laughs> conscious of time. I have a gazillion more questions for you. And so if you would be game at some point to come back so that I can continue asking you questions, I would fucking love that. But again, for you, sure. oh yeah, we can get into specific deductions. Yeah. We can get into systems, yeah. whatever feels good. But yeah. in the interim, but before I even get to like how people should frankly work with you and do this for themselves and where people can contact you and all of that, is there anything that's like on your heart or something that you feel like we haven't talked about in regards to what we have already talked about that you want to mention or share before we wind? Yeah. We started with feelings and I want to bring it back. Can I do yes. that? Okay. So, so here's the thing. I think when you are a creative person, when you're doing your work based on passion first, you know, that's your primary driver or, you know, just the absolute excellence of your work. It can be a particularly painful experience to sit in a room with a person who is only looking at your numbers, mm -hmm. right? That is, to me, that is the reason why we all have such shitty experiences with accountants, financial people, et cetera. There are good ones out there. I mean, I'm a, an example of that, I hope. Yeah. There are good ones out there. I'm not trying to throw under the bus here, but a lot of us have had that experience. And I, I just want to say something to all of you listening because I think it's really, really important for you to hold in your heart and keep with you, which is that the work, you know, like our, our country has reached a serious point of dysfunction. Like we are barely able to talk to each other civilly, you know, with people who disagree with us. Um, it just feels like we're so polarized and tribal. Mm -hmm. And you, you, the passionate, creative person, you are the solution. You are the one who is the empathy muscle of our culture. You are the one doing the work that brings people together, that gives people communal experiences, that, you know, like shows them beauty, that shows them new possibilities. Like the work you are doing is so, so valuable. And that, especially, in fact, it's related to the fact that you do it for passion, that it can be underpaid. And there is a real cultural project. We need to be paid better and valued with money mm -hmm. for what we do. Um, but in the world that we do live in where you aren't enough yet, it can bring up a lot of pain and a lot of feelings and a lot of those like, you know, issues below the surface about how the culture and society values you when you're sitting with a money person. And I think this is why a lot of us have these like awful yeah. shaming experiences when we're in those rooms. And I just want you to carry this with you, that the work you're doing has unbelievable value. We do need to advocate for it more and better, but 
it is valuable and everything you do is not just for money and that other stuff is super important. Thank you for that. I needed to hear that. So <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we, we can forget it, you know, especially when we are living in, whether we like it or not, we are living in a capitalistic structure. There are systems in place, like, and we are, mm -hmm. we are operating for better or for worse within those systems. And so the empowerment that I'm, I know that this episode will bring to people, but also just generally for artists, the empowerment that we deserve to feel when it comes to being our own businesses so that we can thrive mm -hmm. in this culture. Um, yeah, we're, it's, on, it's a bit of a learning curve and a bit of a steep – we aren't set up for success in that way in, within the system. And so just, yeah, the reminder that what we do is important and that it is necessary and that there are ways to do it in a way that um, set us up for, quote-unquote, success within the system – it exists. Mm -hmm. We just have to maybe jump through a few more hoops to get to a baseline of feeling more comfortable because we're not given the opportunity to feel that way from the get. So I'm so grateful to you for this conversation, this whirlwind. Um, for anybody who is listening, who wants to work with you, who wants to take your classes, who wants to listen to your podcast, all these things that you're doing, what are the best ways within your boundaries for people to reach out and find you? Sure. Well, um, I, I do have a podcast. Thank you so much for mentioning it before, the Sunlight Podcast. So if you want to listen and subscribe to that, I, I talk every week about issues for creative people, mindset stuff, super practical tax stuff, you know. Um, so that is a resource I put out for free for the whole creative community. Um, I think a good place to start just getting into my world is um, by downloading that visual guide to your tax deductions. I have six versions of it, so you can pick the one that fits you the best. Yes. <laughs> um, I have one for makers, creators, designers, performers, visual artists. Um, so you just pick the one that's that's right for you. And um, that's at sunlighttax.com slash deductions guide. Once you, once you download that, you will get a little welcome email sequence that goes through like a three-day money challenge and gives you some like food for thought mm -hmm. and tries to kind of shift your mindset a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. And I do, I have a program called Money Bootcamp, which, you know, I launch a couple times a year, um, open seats for, and you can, if you feel interested in that, for sure, drop me a line. Amazing. Um, but that's my program. It's a self-study program where I teach you how to set up bookkeeping, organize your tax system so that they're easy and cause you less stress. And frankly, you don't have to think about them anymore. <laughs> um, and also, we didn't talk about this, Jennifer, but it is the whole part B of my program and my mission. It also teaches you how to get fuck you money. I know. I was so mad that we, I mean, not mad. I, obviously, again, this is like why, because that's like the empowerment part where I'm like, how do we fucking make it happen? So I'm going yeah. to have to have you back. Um but yes, like I, having listened to your podcast, I was like, I want that money too. More of that in my pocket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we all want fucking yeah. money for many reasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for this time. Um, I know for a fact this will be so helpful for so many people. I know it was for me even just to ask the more specific nitty gritty questions that live in my my you know brain for free. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. I so appreciate it. And it's just awesome to connect with you and all your audience members. I hope this has been really helpful to everybody. Yes, for sure. 
Hannah will for sure be brought back onto this podcast so that we can talk more about making more money and keeping the money and using the money. All of those things are equally as important. But for now, as tax season is upon us, I hope that this episode empowers you to look at your finances to begin making a plan for your taxes this year and perhaps setting yourself up for the years to come now that you have this basic information about how to set yourself up for success in this way as an artist. Now, if this episode and specifically this podcast means something to you, it means the most to us. If you were willing to write a review for us on Apple Podcasts, certainly like, rate, follow us wherever you stream. This allows us to continue having these conversations and meeting fellow humans who are wanting to engage in this kind of way. If you did not like this episode, just let it all slide. If you have not yet done so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, more on our website at empoweredartistcollective.com. If you are wanting to be kept in the loop and or you are wanting some merchandise from us, we have those links in the show notes. As always, I am so grateful that you keep on coming back and we will be back again next week. Until then. <laughs>